Now that you are fully settled into a food coma, um, I'm not sure why they brought up the guy with the monotone voice, but um, before we get started, though, I, I feel like I should clear the air a little bit with that uh, vegetarian comment there. Um, so that, that was when I was uh, from age zero to six months old. So uh, there wasn't any, it wasn't any meat during that time, but after that, it's been mostly red meat, so... Just thought we'd just clear that up a little bit. Didn't want any misunderstandings there. I know it could be hard to listen to a vegetarian. <laughs> uh, this, this, this evening we are uh, continuing that series of the lies we believe. And tonight we're considering the lie, I can't be vulnerable. I, I don't, or I don't need to be vulnerable. Uh, now, now we all know it's, it's difficult to be vulnerable and say, maybe in front of an x-ray technicians because uh, they see right through you. Uh, you, weren't, you weren't even ready for that. You were just like, still, still a food coma thing, I think. But uh, well, I got one more, though, here, so try this one. It's also not a good idea to be vulnerable with a first-year photographer because there's risks of overexposure. <laughs> all right, all right, that, that's enough of that. But when it comes to real life, when it, when it comes to real life, what we need to hear is that God, God does require vulnerability. And he supplies all that is needed to overcome the lie that we can't be vulnerable. Now, unfortunately, the message of the world, we heard even this morning, is live your own truth. Self is king. We heard this morning how the world encourages kind of a form of vulnerability, but it's, it's not according to God's word. Instead, authenticity really equals living my feelings, uh, live for me. Sure, I will, I will be vulnerable in the sense of I will express myself, but I will demand that you give approval to my lifestyle and my sin. Uh, the thing is, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things, as Pastor Trevor mentioned this morning. So when you have the world's form of vulnerability or authenticity, what you get is what is in the heart. Increasingly, the cultural norm is to be open and honest about sinful, selfish, even bizarre desires so that you can fully express yourself. And if that weren't enough, if, that, if, that, if the, kind of the, the influence of the world weren't enough, there's also the whisper from within our own hearts. You know, that, that little that voice or that tendency that says, I can't be, I can't be open and honest. No one will understand what if people see the real me? What if people know my thoughts and my doubts and my anger and my fears and my depression and my failures and my laziness and my social media habits and my spending habits and my unkind words and my timidity and my selfishness? What if people saw my sin, not just the socially acceptable sins, but what if they saw the messy heart level sins? I can't, I can't be open and vulnerable. I can't be honest and vulnerable. I can't be vulnerable because I'm too sinful or I'm too contaminated from the sin of others. Or I just don't have time. You know, that level of relationship takes time. Or I just don't, I just don't want to. I don't see the purpose. I'm okay on my own. Uh, we, don't, we don't like to be vulnerable. We feel weak and, and defenseless or, or exposed. Uh, there, there's a fear of being misunderstood or unseen or unheard. Fear of being, being viewed as weak or unknown. There's a fear 
that's related to vulnerability. Christians, however, by definition, are vulnerable. Christians, by definition, are vulnerable. The the heart-piercing gospel has exposed our brokenness and our flaws. And it has exposed our frailty and our sin and our desperate dependence. When When you turn from sin and when you turn to Christ in faith, He exposes our need for Him so that it can be fully met in the gospel. Christians are vulnerable in the same sense in the sense that, that we admit our filth and our depravity to God so that it can be cleansed and redeemed by His grace. That's what it means to be vulnerable. It's a willingness to show emotion or allow your weaknesses to be known. Uh, Brad Hembrick defines vulnerability as, the, the w- it's kind of a long definition, so listen, the, Vulnerability is the willingness to take the risk of allowing any event, belief, preference, interest, or emotion of your life to be shared when it's useful to glorify God by encouraging a fellow believer, allowing a fellow believer to encourage you, or evangelizing an unbeliever. It's the disposition that breathes authenticity into the relationships and allows them to be mutually enjoyable, enriching, and character-shaping. Uh, notice a couple things about this definition. First, the vulnerability requires a willingness b- to share, not necessarily an obligation. It, you know, and in other words, it's a, it's a disposition towards self-disclosure when it's appropriate. Also, vulnerability in- involves risk. Uh, once you give information to another person, you're no longer in control of what's done with that information. Next, vulnerability is, is not limited to certain parts of our life. It involves every area of life. Now, not every relationship will have the same level of vulnerability or the same level of disclosure, but that's decided on the nature of the relationship, not on fear or selfishness. And a really important part of the definition is that vulnerability is purposeful. It's, it's meant to be useful to encourage others and is aimed at glorifying God. So th- that's what vulnerability is. Uh, here's what it's not. Vulnerability doesn't mean unfiltered, uncontrolled, kind of a reckless or thoughtless sharing of your life. It doesn't mean you tell others all of your thoughts, feelings, and desires just at any given time. It doesn't mean you gossip or slander. It doesn't mean you live self-focused or have this kind of poor me or victim mentality in your life. Vulnerability is not an excessive retelling of all the problems to everyone, and it doesn't boast in our sin. Instead, vulnerability is placing our inadequacies, our hurts, and our sins in the hands of God to allow them to be used at His discretion for the advancement of the kingdom by encouraging, instructing, and identifying with others in their hurt. We've heard a little bit of that just with testimonies. Sharing testimonies is a vulnerability in a way to encourage and strengthen the body of Christ. So as we're still just kind of getting started here, let me ask you, Are you vulnerable? Are you willing to let others behind the curtain to see the messy parts of your life? Are you willing to be honest about the disorderly, sometimes chaotic parts of your life? Can we admit that we don't have it all together, right? We don't have it all together. Can we grieve together and hate sin together and pursue Christ together? Uh, Apart from God's grace, we are all naked and ashamed, and at times we feel that way. We can all relate to having certain kind of self-image wrapped in a thin veneer. And underneath that protective 
lining is a helpless, defenseless, dependent person. In large part, however, our natural inclination is to avoid vulnerability, especially if we've been hurt or betrayed or disappointed. At times, vulnerability can actually can seem like a bad thing, particularly when self-protection and pain prevention are deemed as the most important things. But when God's word, we need God's word to help us appreciate and grow in vulnerability. We need to locate vulnerability in Scripture and then respond accordingly. And to do that this evening, we're going to uncover three truths about vulnerability that give us a kind of a biblical perspective and ground us in the gospel. So let me pray for us and we'll get into it. Uh, Father, we've already had a great weekend here. it's It's such a joy to spend time with one another in close quarters and to just to spend the whole day together and to to play have meals together play games together uh, sing together Uh, what a joy it is Uh, in some ways just a taste of heaven uh, together without other responsibilities worshiping our king Uh, we thank you for this time and uh, this weekend and this opportunity here to hear again from your word and uh, lord uh, we acknowledge here the, the the notes i have they're they're straw and ashes without your spirit coming to work and minister to our hearts. So we, we pray that you would. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to, to hear and respond to your word, to apply it, to be doers of your word, and to grow more like Christ. Uh, would you accomplish that even here tonight? For your name's sake, we ask. Amen. Well, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. With those verses that uh, Nathan read. Our goal, again, is to debunk the lie, I can't be vulnerable. And in order to do that, as I said, we're going to consider three truths about vulnerability to give us kind of this biblical perspective and ground us in the gospel. And the first one is this, vulnerability is required. Vulnerability is required. At the start, we need to hear that God expects you and me to be vulnerable. This is not optional. The pages of Scripture are saturated with the stains of sin like guilt and shame and fear. So it's not surprising that vulnerability really kind of is, imply, is an applied theme through the entire Bible. One place that seems to assume the necessity of vulnerability is in the Beatitudes, which again were read earlier. So what I want to do is go briefly describe these qualities, these Beatitudes, and then relate them to vulnerability. As I do, I, w- I want you to listen in for one or two that really strike a chord with you. Listen to these eight or nine kind of qualities and just think, yeah, that's the one. That's, that's the one God needs to work in my life. The first is poor in spirit from verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, now those who are poor in spirit, we understand this is, this is those who are humble. They have an, an accurate view of themselves. That is to say they realize their own spiritual bankruptcy and they admit their total dependence on God's grace. They are poor and needy. And it's not difficult to see how this connects to vulnerability. The one who is poor in spirit doesn't have fear of being exposed. He doesn't compare himself to others or compete for recognition. This person is vulnerable because he understands that his heart is deceitful and wicked. He doesn't have anything to hide. That's why you know this person is poor in spirit. So he's honest about his sin and weaknesses, which frees him to be a conduit of grace to others. He's learned from Christ that in order to gain kingdom riches, you must become poor. And he's willing to point out his own poverty to showcase God's limitless 
treasures. Next, we have those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn in verse 4. Uh, mourning in this case is for evil and sin. Uh, the person mourns because God's law is broken. He is keenly aware of sin in his own heart and the sin around him. He's like Jesus who wept for Jerusalem, like the tax collector who wept over his own sin. In many cases, mourning is a painful recognition that something treasured is lost. It's absent. Here the perfection of the garden and the unhindered presence of God is lacking. So we mourn. Mourning itself is vulnerable, isn't it? It's often confused with weakness, at least in our world. Those who mourn, they're raw with emotion, right? It's, it's heavy with grief. They're honest about their loss. You know, if you've ever spent time with someone or you have yourself experienced the death of a, a loved one or a close person, it, that, it, real, it feels like a real sense of vulnerability in that time. Uh, real heaviness. In Romans 12, we're, we're called to weep with those who weep. That's vulnerability is required. Uh, we don't mourn alone. Instead of minimizing sin within our hearts or the evils around us, we mourn, we weep, and we groan. In the end, we're comforted by the gospel promises we gain in Christ and the living hope we have for the future fullness of redemption. Now we go to verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Now meekness, the popular definition, which is a good one, is power under control. Right? It's gentleness with self-control. Uh, fallen humanity usually emphasizes one or the other, power or control. Either we're, we're powerful to the point of self-confidence or we're controlled to the point of being withdrawn, maybe superficial. But meekness is really, it's a perfect blend. It's calm, open-mindedness, awareness of our, our personal weaknesses combined with the desire to care for others. And godly vulnerability is meek. It requires both confidence and restraint. The vulnerable person is, is confident in the sense that they, they trust others to share the difficulties in their life. They trust what God's doing in their life as they share with others. And they're also, they have restraint, right? They don't need to share every detail or every part of certain things. And meekness makes vulnerability about, really about confidence in God's approval of me in Christ, along with wise restraint that resists really making it about myself. Right? You, you know that vulnerability that, that really just feel like the focus, they're sharing heavy things, but really just feels like they're talking about themselves. They're drawing attention to themselves. So the meek, they share to draw attention to the Lord. The meek inherit the new heaven and new earth because they make much of Christ. Well, we're going to move quickly here. Verse 6 now, those who hunger and thirst. Uh, similar to the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst are needy. They're hungry. They're thirsty. Now, they admit that they don't have a righteousness of their own. So instead of sowing fig leaves to cover their nakedness, they long for an alien righteousness. They desire for God to redeem every aspect of their life for his glory. This person does not try to bolster his own self-worth, but surrenders his sin and inadequacies to the Lord with confidence in God's grace. Pride and insecurity keeps us from admitting our deficiencies, but vulnerability admits our total dependence on the Lord. Vulnerability is willing to say, I'm hungry and thirsty for what only God can give. It goes to the bread of life and the fountain of living water to be satisfied. Like the vulnerability of a newborn baby, we hunger and thirst 
and we rest in the care of our Heavenly Father. Now, the alternative, you know, spiritually speaking, is to starve to death while pretending that you're not hungry. Right? Isn't, isn't the world thinking, you know, I'm going to starve to death pretending I don't need what the Lord has to offer. Well, verse 7, the merciful. Mercy means accepting personal loss for the good of another. It's that sympathetic refusal to treat someone according to their sins. Now, mercy embraces both forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for the suffering. The merciful person takes sin and failure seriously, but he or she bears the brunt of those consequences in order to put God's character on display. You get what I'm saying? They don't minimize sin, but they, they, uh, they move towards sin, even if it has consequences in their own life. Notice also that it's, it's the poor in spirit and it's the meek who are merciful. And they acknowledge that they are sinful and needy, and accordingly they have compassion on others, right? When we're poor in spirit, when we're meek, well, we see our need, and we're able to speak into the needs of other people's lives. We have compassion. Mercy connects to vulnerability because it understands that life is not fair. It resists a com- competitive comparison approach to relationships. Uh, the merciful are content to receive divine mercy instead of demanding that others meet their needs. Right? The, the, so the vulnerability piece here is I might share burdens on my heart. I might share the weaknesses or needs or struggles, but I'm not demanding that the other person meet those needs. I go to the divine mercy. I, I know my Heavenly Father. Mercy makes wise vulnerability possible. Next we have the pure in heart. The pure in heart have been cleansed by the blood of Christ and, and have an inner moral purity that produces kind of a, the single-minded devotion on kingdom priorities. Uh, they have convictions that are formed from Scripture and then inf- inform their life and relationships. Uh, in other words, they see God and life through the eyes of faith. Uh, they're committed to God's fame, to God's kingdom, to God's truth, and God's people, which frees them and compels them to take relational risk for God's glory, hence the vulnerability Thus, vulnerability without purity in heart would be disastrous because biblical convictions and integrity and biblical faithfulness are qualities that wisely guide the vulnerable and wisely prepare a person to listen when others are vulnerable to them. A couple more here. The peacemakers in verse 9. Peacemakers do not attack in anger or withdraw from conflict and fear. Uh, They do not avoid tense or awkward conversations. Instead, as far as it depends on them, they're at peace with all men or all people. And they wisely navigate relationships to pursue reconciliation and maintain unity because they recognize that conflicts and misunderstandings and difficult relationships are not ultimately about them. Instead of making everything personal and responding emotionally, peacemakers address the common enemy of sin within. Their goal is to make much of Christ and to address the sin that hinders it. In every meaningful relationship, there will be tension and challenges, right? Because we're close, we spend time together. And even vulnerability can cause strife or require bearing burdens as as you share deeply with one another. But peacemakers don't keep the peace by avoiding vulnerability. Instead, they, they lean into the messiness of relationships and work towards genuine reconciliation. 
Uh, They listen patiently and speak well-timed words of grace because they're more concerned about the other person's walk with the Lord than about being right or having their hurt feelings acknowledged. They've learned reconciliation from their Heavenly Father and they extend it to others. You can maybe begin to see how all these qualities, they really work together to provide this well-rounded, I think, perspective on vulnerability. The last is, verse 10 and 11, the persecuted and reviled. Uh, those who are persecuted, they, they experience suffering because of their priority as Christ. They're unjustly attacked and mistreated because they love God. In other words, a, a commitment to the gospel has, it really has built-in vulnerability. Right? If you're committed to Christ... And if you profess a relationship with the Lord, there's a built-in vulnerability because it puts you at risk of suffering and being reviled. It exposes you, right, to a a world that hates God. Jesus said, if they they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The alternative is to live for approval, to conform to the culture, or to compromise convictions in order to avoid persecution. The alternative is to not be vulnerable, to not be real with your Christian convictions and with your your issues of faith in your life. Those who are vulnerable, though, they accept that there will be opposition and that doesn't discourage their vulnerability. In fact, the threat of persecution really gives grit to their vulnerability. It necessitates that their relationships go deep, right? When you, when you experience persecution and suffering and maybe in, an, in the North America we will experience this someday, when you experience those things, Right, you kind of cut off the superficial relationships. You kind of maintain. You got to go deep with people. That's where vulnerability is important. And really, an, an expectation to live without resistance or without stress or opposition, it w- inevitably, it would disappoint. It, w- it would tempt us to retreat into kind of this the shell of self-protectiveness. But vulnerability expects some level of opposition or tension. And it understands that's realistic, and God calls that blessed. So in order to be the person described in the Beatitudes, we really need redemptive grace, and we need to believe that vulnerability is required. So just as you, as you think about this point, uh, what I want to drive home here is I encourage you to, to think about the Beatitudes. Read and reread them. As you do, think about, again, as we started, the ways these verses necessitate vulnerability in your life with specific people in your life. Ask yourself, which of these qualities are most lacking in my life? What hinders me from sharing vulnerably with others? Am I honest with my sins and struggles so that others have an accurate view of me? Do I grieve over my sins and run to God for mercy and bring others with me? Do my relational convictions compel vulnerability? Do others view me as a person they can be vulnerable with? Someone they can trust? Someone they, that, that is merciful and pure in heart? Do I avoid vulnerability in order to avoid conflict? Do I pursue relationships, relational peace with my spouse and my kids and my friends that admits my sin and forgives their sin? Do I believe that my vulnerability will sometimes be met with opposition but it's still worth it because God is my refuge and strength. Now, for those of you who are still awake, you might be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor Michael. Vulnerability is required, but it's not easy. I mean, it's not, it's not that simple. 
You don't understand. My life is messy and people are sinful. If I'm vulnerable, I could get hurt and betrayed. In fact, I have. And I'm not doing that again. If you're thinking that, well, you're right. Vulnerability is risky. Right? There are risks, as we said, built into vulnerability. And that's the next point we need to ground in Scripture. Vulnerability is required. And secondly, vulnerability is risky. We just want to acknowledge it, admit that's true. By definition, vulnerability is risky. The risk is real and it's, it's potentially painful. Vulnerability sometimes leads to emotional pain and suffering. It risks getting hurt or misunderstood. And let me just give you a few examples. Maybe you can relate to one of these. A spouse knows your insecurity and uses them to shame or frustrate you. A parent or child knows your past failures and brings them up during an argument. A friend knows a secret and shares it, resulting in embarrassment. A boss knows you can't afford to leave your job and uses it as leverage. An, an embarrassing event is made known in public as a joke. A shameful sin that no one knows makes it seem impossible for you to receive love because they don't know the real you. They don't know the whole story. Uh, vulnerability is risky, but you need to hear this. Vulnerability is risky, but it is not to blame for the pain. The common denominator in those examples is a sinful response to vulnerability. Heaven will be a, a, a place of complete, risk-free vulnerability. We'll be known fully with nothing to hide and with full assurance of our joy in Christ. What makes vulnerability risky is the reality of sin. So to help us understand that, let's go to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 1 and 3, we can make just a few observations that I think will help us kind of understand this and ground this in, in Scripture. You know the scene, God created everything good. Adam and Eve enjoyed God's presence, lived happily in the garden, and they were both, verse, chapter 2, verse 25, naked and not ashamed. They were vulnerable and they were happy in a world without sin. They were open and honest about everything because sin had not tainted anything. Enter Satan. Satan is a crafty serpent. He comes in, the devil persuades Eve to doubt God's goodness and to think God had withheld something from her. You know, which is actually true, isn't it? God, God was preventing her. God was withholding death from her, right? You eat of the tree and you surely will die. That was his intention, to prevent death and sorrow. Eve, however, wanted to be like God. She wanted to become her own God. So in unbelief, she disregarded God's warning. And the result of disobeying God and plunged the world into sin. What we see there in verse 3-7, the eyes of Adam and Eve were opened and they knew that they were naked. Sin has changed a few things. They were naked and unashamed. Now they're naked and ashamed. Wherever, the, wherever there is sin, there is guilt and shame. For the first time, they felt liable to judgment because of their disobedience, and they felt contaminated because of the filth of the sinful heart. Adam and Eve were ashamed, and they were afraid to be vulnerable. They were exposed, and they needed to hide from God's holy presence. Now, of course, we get that the fig leaves were a pathetic attempt to cover themselves, and you can't hide from the omnipresent God. So when God confronted Adam and Eve... Is this what happened? They were vulnerable. They were vulnerable with the sin. They humbly confessed, knowing that their safest place was to admit the failure. 
receive forgiveness and be restored. If your Bible reads that, it's not right. In Genesis 3, we we read about how they were both defensive and they blame shifted. Right? They refused vulnerability. They refused to open up. And they continued to live the lie. If they couldn't hide from God, they could try to hide behind excuses. Uh, They could pretend that fig leaves were working and no one could see their nakedness. You see, vulnerability is right and required. It's part of God's design. The problem is sin. And over the ages since Adam and Eve, we have continued to recycle the same lies while inventing new ways of of sowing fig leaves. And we got a lot of fig leaves. And we have a lot of ways to try to cover and prevent from being exposed and from being vulnerable. Let me just give you a quick sample. Things like pride, legalism, and, and kind of the condemnation of others. This kind of harsh side of pride. Uh, this, this, this North American dream of independence and autonomy and self-sufficiency, right? Just attempt to ride a, a self-protective layer. Uh, legalism, kind of with these man-made standards and these performance expectations and this gaining approval from the culture. It's just, again, an attempt. To, you don't have to see the real me if, you, if you're distracted by my performance. Or just that kind of that hypocrisy, right? When you point out the sins of others or you point out things that others do, if we, can, if we can get the tension off of me and onto someone else, again, that I don't have to be vulnerable. All these sinful approaches are ways to avoid an openness, a vulnerability, when really what's needed is that humility and meekness. I mean, it could come kind of the other side of the coin would be kind of a persistent guilt or ongoing uh, lasting shame or relentless fear. That'd be kind of the, the despair side of, of the, the angle there. Uh, and the, those sins can really kind of lead to this del- debilitating place of feeling like a, just a victim mentality. And, a, and, a, and that's a hard place to be. We've all probably experienced that. Uh, we can struggle. Are the gospel promises really for me? Uh, is, is forgiveness, is that applicable in my, in my situation? Lasting shame can, like I said, it really can be the sense of just contamination, feeling like you're broken. We can't be fixed. We're beyond repair because of my sin or because of the ways of others have sinned against me. And fear, yeah, just so many forms of fear. Uh, I mean, daily anxieties, the fear of rejection, the fear of being alone, the fear of embarrassment, fear of being weak, fear of being out of control in life, fear of being off schedule at camp, fear of just fear of fear, fear of being afraid. They can all be hindrances to vulnerability. And just, bre- just quickly on that one, you know, Proverbs 29, 25, the, the fear of man, you really could almost put anything there. The fear of something else other than God lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Doesn't safety sound a lot like I can be vulnerable? I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm safe. My fear is in him, so I don't have to fear what other people think. Uh, one more kind of lie that can hinder vulnerability is just a really an earthly life focus. I need to live for this life. Now, the focus is on here and now exclusively. It's a life dominating, work, leisure, family, with, without an, an eternal perspective. Uh, again, you're not going to speak the truth or share the gospel or, or sacrifice your priorities 
if your focus is on the earthly and the temporal, you're living for now. You're not going to expose yourself to risk or rejection when you're trying to get the most out of this life. Why would you live uh, distinct from the world? Why would you offend others with the cross when you're just looking forward to the things that you can gain in this life? The, the point of these examples, briefly, is not to kind of have many sermons on the side about these topics, but it's just to say that vulnerability is not the problem. We, we mustn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. The real problem is sin that lodges in our hearts and taints our relationships. Listen, the risk is real, as we said, but it's also necessary and worth it. I mean, there's several reasons it's worth it. I'm, I'm just going to go over these quickly also. The first reason it's worth it is because we already saw, and we could, we could go, I think, through the pages of Scripture unpacking things like the Beatitudes. We already saw that it's required. Right? It's worth it because God expects it. Another what reason it's worth it is because love is inherently risky. Love is inherently risky. Love requires vulnerability. I, I think we all get this on a personal, relational level, right? You know, when you're first starting dating someone, uh, typically, you know, the early kind of start of that date, the vulnerability, that's pretty low, right? You've got to put my best foot forward. I don't want to see the, the bad parts, the messy things. We're just going to kind of keep that for later. But that relationship has to progress, right? If that's, the, if that's the level of the relationship, like that's not a very meaningful relationship. And as it progresses, well, we see more of the other person as you get married and you, and you live in the same home. Now you see just about everything, right? You're not, you're not hiding anything anymore. They just know you. There's certain things in your heart that you may or may not share. But the vulnerability level has gone up. And what, what also has gone up is the intimacy level, right? Love requires this level of vulnerability and intimacy to be meaningful. My, maybe the flip side of it's required is another reason that vulnerability is worth it is because invulnerability, invulnerability is a lie. Right? W when we pretend that we're strong or unaffected by sin or, or we try to fit into the world, as Christians, what we're really doing is living a lie. When we, when we don't confess our sins to others and we don't admit that we're weak or when we don't talk about our failures, when we we project a lie. We intentionally or unintentionally present ourselves to others as reasonably put together. We tell, others, we tell others we are dependent on the Lord, but we don't speak about those things that necessitate our dependence. And here's the thing. As we said earlier, we are weak. We are deeply affected by sin. We don't fit in. I don't need to know the specifics of your life or circumstances to know that you're not self-sufficient. You're not impervious to sin from within or without. And you're not meant to find your ultimate joy in this world. So if you're not vulnerable with others, you're not fooling anyone. We all know our own hearts. And... and Maybe at times we think others are different and we're the only ones. But if we're really honest, I think we all know that we all struggle. You've sinned against others. You've been sinned against. You're hurting, or at times you're hurting more than others. You're groaning. You need daily grace. You experience trials and triumphs. We all do. And vulnerability admits these truths embraces the reality, and clings to Christ. 
To do otherwise is to risk living a lie. Could you live without God's grace? No, of course not. Do the people around you view you as utterly desperate for grace because you're honest with your ongoing need and with the things that necessitate grace in your life? Being vulnerable is not easy and there are risks. So we need to be wise and thoughtful. Depending on the, we need, we don't have time this evening, but we, I mean, we need to be thoughtful about who we're sharing with, when, when, what, the details, uh, kind of the relational expectations and how we respond with compassion and care and all those things. If we had time, we could go more in detail about those things. The point I'm making here is that we understand there's risks, but it's worth it. God requires it. And it leads to um, living out God's purpose in our life and intimacy and meaningful relationships with others. So why are we scared to be vulnerable? Why do we hide? Why do we pretend? The answer is because guilt and shame can cause us to cover our nakedness with lots of fig leaves, with pride and despair. But <laughs> here's, here's kind of the irony. I, I, this is just, just ironic. Vulnerability is actually the key that unlocks the door to our struggle with vulnerability. You see, vulnerability is required and risky, and it's also, it's also redemptive. That's our last place we need to go. Vulnerability is required, risky, and thirdly, vulnerability is redemptive. When I say vulnerability is redemptive, what I mean is the gospel produces vulnerability, in the fr and freedom is the result of vulnerability. Let's take those one at a time. First, the gospel produces vulnerability. Uh, think about what happened when God set his favor upon you and you believed that you could be a new creation in Christ. Think about what happened. You were given every spiritual blessing in him. You were born again into a living hope. You were justified, sins forgiven, wrath appeased. You were redeemed, set free from death and slavery. You were reconciled to God, no longer his enemy, but now his friend. You were sanctified, set, af set apart for his divine purposes. You were adopted into his family with all the rights and privileges of a son of God, including a future inheritance. The gospel produces vulnerability because it's given you God's abundant riches and his heavenly blessings. Right? You can be open and honest because you know who you are and you know what you have in the Lord. You can be open and honest because every road in your story leads to God's grace. Whatever the mess is, whatever the heart, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is, well, what's God doing? Plus, as Christians, you're united to Christ. The struggle with vulnerability is, is that it exposes our sin and weaknesses. But think about it. Jesus was profoundly vulnerable. I mean, the second member of the Trinity exposed himself by becoming a man. And, and then by exposing himself to ridicule and to, be, to obedience to the point of death on the cross. And right, Can you think of anything more vulnerable than dying naked on a cross? And this is the man, this is the God-man you are united to. He, he exemplified all the qualities in the Beatitudes. He lived a perfect life of faithful obedience, and then he gifted you with the, his righteous life. You are holy in God's sight. 
And because of that, we can be real. We can be honest. We don't have to be ashamed of the sin that remains because God has promised to complete the work that he started. Vulnerability allows us to admit we're a work in progress and God is good, right? He always finishes what he starts. You can be vulnerable because you're united to the most vulnerable person in the universe and you have his righteousness as your covering, right? We don't, we don't need those pathetic fig leaves. We have the righteousness of Christ. When you abide in Christ and his love, the guilt and the shame and the fear, they don't go away instantly, but they, they melt, they, they erode, and we can be real when you find rest in a gentle and lowly Savior, you don't have to have anything to hide from, nothing to prove. The gospel produces vulnerability because it's given you a new identity. All those things that you want to hide, all those things you don't want others to see, it's not even the real you. Right? It's part of you, it's part of your story, it's part of what God's doing. But what's truest about you is that you're a child of God. Because of the reality of the gospel, you can put your hope in biblical promises. The sin and hurt, the weaknesses, they're real, but they're just not the full story. Again, we don't need to find approval or acceptance or self-worth in earthly things or in people. We have confidence in God's promises to relocate us to a place with no sin. We talked about that earlier. And are you longing for heaven? I mean, that's just going to be a sweet place. And that day is coming. There will, there will be no sin. There will be no sorrow. In the meantime, we can be vulnerable about our dependence on his grace. Uh, faith, in that case, it takes, him at his, takes God at his word. It believes his promises and it believes that, you know what, I'm really am in, in Christ. And all those strong feelings I have, all those heavy emotions that I feel, all those fears and uh, concerns I have about the ways people view me, etc., the, what God says about me is what's truest, what, what's most real. It's reality. If those promises are true and real, then we can, in fact, be vulnerable. The gospel produces vulnerability because it's, it has secured your heavenly inheritance. Now, the, the earth is not your home. Uh, this life is not your reward. You have an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance kept for you in heaven. It's secure. Because that's true, because that's reality, because we long for that and look forward to that, while we're in this earth and we know that we're aliens here, right? We're not citizens here. This is not our home. Then we can be, we can be real. Uh, think about the Apostle Paul. Towards the end of the light, his end of his life, 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, I, I mean, not much detail, but still a level of vulnerability when he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. That's a level of vulnerability, I don't think. Nobody's worse than me. Worst of all sinners. Why could he say a statement like that? Well, when you read the Paul, because his hope was in the other world. Because his confidence was in Christ. Because he was in, saturated in the truths of the gospel. They were his. They were meaningful. They were what he clinged to. So the gospel produces vulnerability. And secondly, just briefly, freedom is the result of vulnerability. I think we understand this from the things we've talked about. If you're not vulnerable, if, if vulnerability is, is I get, maybe I should say, severely lacking, right? There's degrees of vulnerability. But if it's just, if it's not a pattern in your life, to some degree, you're a slave to whatever hinders your vulnerability. 
Whatever keeps you from being vulnerable at least is at risk of being an idol in your life. It could be fear or shame or guilt or pride, but a stubborn unwillingness to appropriately open and be honest with others could mean you're unwilling to risk exposing your idols. You're unwilling to, to let go of something that has a control, certain control over your heart and mind. An area of your life could be enslaved to sin, and it keeps you from being vulnerable with others. Right? That is more important. Keeping that hidden is more important than having relationships that are open and honest, confessing these things before the, the Lord and others so you can get help, so you can get grace, so that you can just be real. We need to be convinced that the truth will set you free. That when you expose your sin, hurts, and weaknesses to the light, they become a mirror to reflect God's glory. But when you believe what God says about you, then you break the chains of fear, shame, and pride. And you can live out your identity in Christ without fear of rejection or disappointment because you're already approved in God. There is no rejection. After all, the Bible, the Bible speaks, just for example, pretty heavily to shame. I once heard a speaker say that shame is on every page of the Bible, and if you can't identify with shame, then maybe you can't identify with what God's doing in your life. Right? We all feel that because we've all, we've all sinned. God knows we are weak and needy and vulnerable. He knows it. And he, he runs to us in it. He doesn't run away from us. Vulnerability really locates us in the pages of Scripture. It brings your story and aligns it with God's story. When we're open and honest again, the gospel becomes our refuge. But when we pretend that we're strong and self-sufficient, the gospel becomes redundant. It becomes unnecessary. It's functionally irrelevant because we're not desperate for daily grace. Instead, we're focused on maintaining appearances. We're working hard to make those loincloths out of fig leaves. You know, the takeaway here as we wrap up is just to believe that vulnerability is a blood-bought blessing. It was a high cost of Jesus' death that reverses the curse of sin and liberates you from the bondage of self so that you can be vulnerable to the glory of God. Again, like I've said, we, we, don't, we don't need to hide or pretend. We can embrace weakness, much as Paul did in 2 Corinthians 12. Just when I am weak, then I am strong. We can confess our sins to one another. We can have genuine relationships where we are truly known and where we know others. We can engage in small group accountability at more than superficial level. We can be faithful to speak the truth and share the gospel with others. After all, vulnerability isn't just about confessing sin and weakness. It's also about the courage to be holy. While invulnerability sacrifices authenticity and results kind of in this filtered fake life. So what we've seen is that in the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes gives us clarity. A little bit of clarity here that just one example that vulnerability is required. I, if we're going to live out the, the way God has designed us in a relationship, what God has called us to, then yeah, vulnerability is required. If you're not willing to be weak and vulnerable and honest, then we're going to maybe forfeit some of the blessings that God talks about there. And we're not going to be prepared to live out the life he intends in some ways. 
the expectation of vulnerability that seems to permeate the Beatitudes, it leads to joy. It leads to that blessed life. We also saw that the record of Adam and Eve's sin from Genesis teaches us that deceitful lives and sinful responses to life, are they're really what makes vulnerability difficult. So the enemy is not vulnerability, the enemy is sin. Let's go after the real enemy. And then we're going to do that in part in community with Pastor Trevor we'll talk about tomorrow. And that requires vulnerability. We need to repent of our sin in our hearts. We need to be willing to forgive others. Instead of avoiding or blaming vulnerability as a way to kind of dodge our sin. So the gospel produces vulnerability that results in freedom. So we need to daily saturate our mind in the gospel. You know, some of these truths that I kind of blew through about who we are in Christ, like we need a dose of that every day. Uh, We need to regularly be renewing our minds with who I am and what are the implications of the gospel in my life all the time for many reasons, but for the one here tonight, so their hearts are primed, ready, and willing to live out our identity in Christ, admit our need for him. In the end, I could just say it this way. Vulnerability is wise. It's living, it's just living reality. It's living in faith of what's true. Recognize your need for grace and your need to do life with others. And as a result, vulnerability glorifies God. It makes him the center of attention. When we get to Christ, we get to the Savior through sin and through suffering. And that, in part, is a life of vulnerability. Appropriately, well-timed with certain people, as we said, but it must be present. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we've taken these moments here this evening to talk about a fairly heavy topic, really. And we've sought to really position it in Scripture so that we'd be convinced or maybe just reminded or spurred on that, you know, we do life together. And that requires a level of realness and vulnerability that uh, makes us a little uncomfortable at times. But again, in all of our hearts, in every single person's heart here in the room, we desperately want to be known. We're, f- we're fully known by you, but we, s- we even want to be known by others in our life, the real us and, and loved in that context. We're so thankful that the body of Christ is a place for that. We're so thankful that who we are in Christ, these, rea- these promises of the gospel that are ours, this identity that we have in him, it really just frees us. It gives us freedom so that we don't have to be defined. We don't have to have an identity in our sin, but rather that's already been established in Christ. So Lord, in whatever ways we need work in our hearts, would you, would you minister to each of us accordingly? May the truths of your word resonate uh, throughout uh, the weekend and As we go off the mountain, even just into real applicational ways in our life, we ask for your glory, Jesus' name, amen.